But Houston, we had a problem. Yes, Nashville SC unable to get the job done against Houston. They do clinch a playoff spot thanks to help elsewhere. We're here to talk about the Houston match, about LAFC and Decision Day with an awesome guest, as well as everything MLS playoffs. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio voice, Wes Bowling. And I am ClubCountryUSA.com owner, Tim Sullivan. The one and only. Tim, thanks for holding it down for me with Stephen Braden last week. Excellent job. Hated to miss the show. Was at a wedding out in Colorado, which is the reason we're putting this up a day late as well. Uh, you guys did an awesome job, as always. It was like a, a lamestream sports uh, Tim Sullivan <laughs> The soccer version of lamestream sports. In the past 36 hours, I've seen the Rapid Stadium and driven right by SKC Stadium. That's been the experience I've had on the road. Let me tell you, after all of Kansas, even barely seeing a stadium in the distance, pretty much a highlight compared to that <laughs> state. Uh, Nashville C had a simple mandate. Win against Houston Dynamo, and third place in the East was within their grasp. We even told you a couple weeks ago the odds were kind of leaning toward Nashville SC getting that done, especially as Dallas slipped up against Colorado. In that case, get that win, a first-round home playoff game all but guaranteed. But, Tim, as is the case in MLS and as has been the case for Nashville SC late in seasons before USL and MLS, it just simply wasn't that straightforward, was it? Yeah, when you look at how the game played out, Nashville was fairly dominant in the early going, but a penalty after a video review that not only gifted a goal to Houston Dynamo, but was inches away from going back and taking a Hani Mukhtar chip off the board uh, that happened immediately after the foul that was eventually adjudged to be a penalty against Walker Zimmerman. That gave Houston the lead. Nashville was was pretty rattled from that point, and a Dave Romney mistake doubled it, and NFC never truly got a foothold back in the game And when the stakes were high, like you already mentioned. Really frustrating. We've seen it happen before with Nashville SC when they are unable to capitalize on that early dominance. Uh, sometimes the, the game can fizzle, and an inferior opponent um, can make a game of it. In this case, get the win. Houston sweeps Nashville SC this year with a pair of 2-0 defeats for the boys in gold and the early shout today the cross is open an ignominious history against weak sides san jose skc houston etc houston twice um and we'll talk a little bit about that and try to understand it just a little bit to the extent that it can be understood the word sample size a phrase sample size may be referenced at some point uh despite a request not to and uh what can nashville's playoff positions be let's talk about those scenarios and let's talk about what's coming up for the boys and gold on decision day and what's coming up of course is a visit to lafc the supporter shield winners and we have a supporter shield caliber guest tim caught up with alicia rodriguez from angels on parade if you don't follow her on twitter if you don't read her work you absolutely should she is absolutely tremendous and uh, she gives a great interview that gets you ready for the final regular season match of the year. Will it be the final regular, will it be the final home match of the year? We'll go through the playoff permutations. Uh, where can Nashville finish? Also, Rios regrets and reasons for the regression on Sunday. Also, active alliteration, as you can tell. And uh, <laughs> we'll go outside in and take a, a deeper look at the playoff field. Uh, but first, Tim Club and Country, sponsored by our favorite, the one and only ML Rose. ML Rose. Oh. Little little uh, unanimity there on saying it. Uh, we were in unison. Yeah, I, I dropped by ML Rose before the game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, fortunately, 
Uh, I managed to sit at the bar and have nobody bug me. <laughs> Fortunately, nobody recognized me. Um, uh, very weirdly for somebody who has a podcast, I'm a little introverted when I meet people out, out in public. <laughs> I thought you were saying they're... nobody recognized you, which was weird because you have a podcast. So no, like, no, 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 your no. voice. So I, I got no, you now. No. I got you now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. Got to uh, didn't get to have too many beers because I was headed to cover the game, but um, did manage to grab some grab some grub. I you know, as is as is tradition, can't uh, turn down the Carolina sweets uh, when I have the opportunity. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, and then uh, yeah, it was great to see again. Like we always say, people decked out in gold there, checking out ML Rose, and um, you know, uh, again, since I didn't get bothered by anybody or bother anybody, um, it, it does seem like a lot of them found out about ML Rose and found out about it as a, a soccer place through uh, listening to this podcast. And we're we're always thrilled to hear that. It's so great to see that. And every time we I go in and see people clad in gold it is it's absolutely so gratifying to to see that that sense of community and as we talk about what happened on fan appreciation day where obviously the fans didn't necessarily appreciate the result uh when we talk about you know the the story of geodis park in year one i think the most rewarding thing to talk about with regard to our podcast and with regard to ml rose and that partnership is that it's created a sense of community, you know, whether it's you guys, you know, jumping in on the mailbag questions and us having a lot of good dialogue there, whether it's you coming up to us when you see us at matches and saying, Hey, I like the show, uh, the DMS we've gotten, but, but the most rewarding part has been the folks we've been able to meet at, at the mill Rose. And in fact, when I was in Boulder, Colorado for a wedding this past weekend, I, I saw somebody walking to my same intersection. I was carrying my son. We had a uh, actually non ML Rose burgers in our hand because there's not a location in Boulder yet. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a guy in a Nashville SC shirt at the, at the intersection, right at the walk sign. And he's headed the other way and he had, he had AirPods in. And that's the number one rule of AirPods is that you don't talk to people with AirPods. Right. But oh, I, I did because <laughs> it's an NSC shirt in Boulder, Colorado. Right. And so I said, excuse me, I just have to ask about your shirt. And it turns out he was, he was, he was like, wait a minute. Is that Wes I hear? <laughs> Again, voice not recognized. Same, same as you. And uh, he said, yeah, he actually had helped open Jodas Park. So he got oh. the shirt as a, as a gift or maybe as a souvenir on his way out of town. He travels around and opens different venues. He said, I've opened like 12 different stadiums and, and that one is my favorite. It's the best. Um, and, and he actually thanked me for stopping him uh, on the street while wearing AirPods. It's the first time. I'm sure he, I'm sure he turned around ever. and muttered this, this guy. <laughs> it, probably so. Probably so. But he did say, thanks for stopping me. Great to see you, whether or not he meant it. And that has nothing to do with ML Rose, but it goes back again to that sense of community that the Nashville SC fan base is spreading, not only around the city, but around the country. And it is really cool that ML Rose has become an epicenter of that discussion and of that, of that family. And you know, if we can take a small, small uh, chicken wing of credit for that nugget of credit, chicken wing of credit, whatever, we'll do it. But, but certainly ML Rose is quality. Um, it's, it's a great uh, intimate ambiance. Uh, those, those really are the reasons why that place has become a special place and why at fan on fan appreciation weekend, so many showed their appreciation, uh, to, to ML Rose before and after the match. Let's get into the early shout and, uh, Nashville SC got a bit of later, late relief with a goal from Walker Zimmerman, but they fell to Houston for the second time this year. And, you know, this was the match down the home stretch, Tim, that everyone looked at and said, this is the one that you get three points. And you don't want to leave it for LAFC. And sure enough, while Nashville has clinched a playoff spot, they've left their final positioning up to their performance at LAFC. And it was, it was an unlucky game. And, and basically every soccer game, win or lose, has some, some form of luck in it. But an uncharacteristic mistake from Dave Romney, that's not really something that you're going to see 
um, followed a, a characteristically poor video review. And, and I, I do say that knowing that we're actually spoiled because if you watch soccer around the world, uh, MLS probably does it better than, than most people. But on the, on the heels, a couple games after the heels where, where uh, pro referees apologized for a, an incorrect uh, application of the clear and obvious standard, I think there's a pretty good chance that we see another apology for, a, for an incorrect application of the clear and obvious standard. And it, 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 you deserve to lose a game if you don't score and come back, but it does stink that that's the way that it had to happen for Nashville SC. Uh, with that second loss to the Dynamo, Nashville's been swept by the team that looks like they're bound to finish second bottom of the West, bottom, of course, San Jose Earthquakes, which drew Nashville twice. Uh, last year, Nashville managed just a 1-1-1 one, one, and one record against Toronto FC, who, of course, finished down the, toward the bottom of the East. That brings us to our first mailbag question then from Chris Holt. What does it say about NSC that the worst team in the conference is also the only team to have ever swept Nashville SC in a season? And that's quite a stat, Chris. Yeah, and Chris did follow that up with a ban on using the term sample size. So I feel personally Good luck. attacked. Good luck. Because <laughs> that is part of the answer. Um, I think the broader picture is that this is a league where the difference between the top and bottom teams isn't that great. There is no Man City against Norwich City <laughs> like you would see in the Premier League. Anybody can lose to someone lower in the table. You can just ask LAFC, who fell to this very same Dynamo team by the very same score a couple weeks ago, and yet is en route to winning the Supporters' Shield. So you're judged on the whole body of work over the course of 34 games. And um, obviously, like you mentioned, you brought in the San Jose results there too. Taking care of business against bad teams looks like a really easy spot for Nashville to clean up and, and, and pick up points in subsequent years. But the reality is when you only play them a couple times, weird stuff happens. We saw weird stuff happen on Sunday. I think uh, when, when these teams played in April or May, Houston just kicked Nashville's ass to be quite honest. But um, you know, when, when they played on Sunday, you know, an odd situation that has never arisen from Dave Romney, uh, an unfortunate video review. And it just happens. I don't think it says a lot about Nashville in the big picture other than, Hey, going forward, there's, there's an opportunity here to turn those zero points into four points and, and turn two points against San Jose into six points going forward. Yeah, it's, it is bizarre though. I, I definitely can understand supporters looking at that and saying, look, small sample size or not, it's incredibly frustrating to look at what this team could be if they'd beaten the teams they were simply supposed to beat. The other side of that, of course, is that they are still in a good position at the table because they've also performed well against teams that maybe you wouldn't have expected them to beat. And you look at what they've done on the road, and the flip side is, yeah, you underperform against bottom table teams. That keeps you from fulfilling most pundits' prediction of a top two and, and maybe not even top three. Maybe they do get third. But they've gotten the job done against the Austins of the world taking four points against Seattle, which I know is not a top table team, but partially because Nashville took six points off of them. Uh, it, you know, you could go on and on with some other teams that Nashville's played well against that are, you know, you know, mid to high table teams. But the fact of the matter is that it's, it's, it, it does come down to that parody. This league is just bizarre and you're not going to see Nottingham forest take six points off of Manchester city. It's, it's inconceivable. Um, or VFL Bochum, are they even in the Bundesliga now? Like beating Bayern twice. I don't even know. I don't even know if I pronounced I that right. Clay Trainer will tell us. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's the parody of this league more than it is a statement about an NC. I completely agree. Uh, talking about crossing now, Nashville launched 28 live ball crosses, four offset piece, seven corner kicks. It's 39 total crosses. Tim, are you, are you surprised or even maybe a little bit disappointed to see Nashville resort to those crosses against a Houston team that's been fairly easy for other clubs to break down this year. 
Disappointed, yes, but uh, there's no confusion here. You can really understand why it happened, um, especially for a team like Nashville, which um, does not have the sort of attacking talent like, say, an LAFC. And against a team like Houston that's out there um, and is going to say, okay, we've got, you know, a one goal and then ultimately a two goal lead, and we're going to do everything we can to hold on to that lead and not really go forward. Once they have that lead, they are going to pack the box. And, and Nashville's, um, you know, the way that this Nashville roster is built, if a team is going to say, Hani Mukhtar can't beat us and we're going to stack the box, really the, the main thing that this team is going to have the ideas to do is lump the ball into the box. Um, that quickly becomes the name of the game once the lead goes up to two. And um, it, it is terrible offense. Crosses are inherently a low percentage, a low payoff type of thing. Obviously, it looks great when it happens. And, and we saw Walker's goal come on a corner kick situation from one of those um, crosses from the corner. But situationally, Teams can kind of force you into doing that, uh, especially when that lead goes to two. And um, Nashville is the sort of team that, that yes, they have Hani Mukhtar, but that's one player. Uh, going through the middle, it's it's tough. that You don't have quite as many guys, and therefore the wings are available, and you are going to end up shooting in a lot of crosses. Sure. And the Schaffelberg edition, again, means you're going to be trying those home run balls over the top and working from the wings and crossing those in, even if they're low inline crosses. Uh, into the Gold Nuggets, let's, let's talk playoffs. Nashville's fifth in the Western Conference, tied with Galaxy on points, but they are behind on the wins tiebreaker. I don't think many of you need the refresher on this, but we do have some new listeners from last year. Nashville, of course, last year tied Philadelphia. Any other league in the world, pretty much, they finished second because goal differential would be the first tiebreaker in MLS. It is wins. I guess we'll invite Tim here in a bit to get on a soapbox about that uh, if he wants to, about the redundancy. and People can uh, people can go back and listen to our shows at the end of last year. I'm sure I that's what you'll piece. do. I'm sure that's what everybody's going to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yet, of course, because LA Galaxy do hold that wins tiebreaker, Galaxy in fourth, Nashville in fifth. So get out your, uh, your spreadsheets, I guess. Here's how Nashville can finish in each spot. If you want to jot this down, get your notepads out. Uh, Nashville can still finish third. They need a little help, of course, to do that. They need to beat LAFC on the road, which is is maybe the, the hardest part of all this. They need SKC to beat Dallas, and they need Galaxy to drop points against Houston. So a draw or a loss to Houston. Again, an Dynamo team that just uh, made Nashville drop all three. Uh, fourth place, couple scenarios there. Same thing. So beat LAFC, but either Dallas or Galaxy gets the result that keeps them ahead of Nashville uh, another fourth place scenario would be to draw LAFC, a Galaxy loss, or a Portland win over RSL, or a Minnesota win over Vancouver. A uh, couple scenarios have them in fifth place as well, a draw or loss to LAFC, and any two of those three things I just listed above. Um, or they lose to LAFC, wins for Minnesota or Portland. There's a goal differential thing in there too that's not likely. Um, sixth place if Nashville loses, Minnesota wins, and Portland wins. You're not. You don't have faith in RSL to beat Portland by thirteen. Thirteen. Right? I didn't read the number <laughs> in the rundown. Yeah, uh, that would be a very unlucky number for Nashville if that were to happen. Um, and, and so I guess we, Nashville could lose by like six, and then RSL would only need to win by seven. But hey, as everyone predicts, really, yeah. um, coming into this weekend, as we'll hear Alicia surely say in her segment. Uh, so, so Tim, a lot of scenarios. I didn't expect everybody to, to, you know, digest it. All of that. Head to clubcountryusa.com. Yeah, I'll, I'll for, write them up. I'll write them up in yeah. prose on the site this week. Perfect, and, and we can even throw these in the show notes here, so that you guys can can have. No, you know what? I'm not going to do that. That cannibalizes your site, so we're not going to do that. Go to clubcountryusa.com and, and check those out. With that in mind, Tim, I'll ask you: What do you think is the most likely scenario for Nashville? Do you see them pipping Galaxy for fourth place? 
um, or staying in fifth, those being probably the two most likely of the of the four possibilities. Yeah, at this stage, and, and we'll have a, a question about this in the mailbag as well, where I'll go into a little bit more detail about why I think this is the case. But I do think that they they end up in, uh, sorry, I, I do believe that they end up in, in fifth place. I think they stick where they are right now. Um, expecting Galaxy to, to drop points at Houston is is reasonable. We just saw Nashville drop points all, all three points at home to Houston, but situation where, uh, you know, as we're about to hear uh, Alicia Rodriguez talk about LAFC still has something to play for in the regular season, even if it's not a point total or anything, since they've already wrapped up the supporter shield, they want to play their best players and have those guys go through kind of an intense match because they are going to have a week off, which no other team in the playoffs is going to have. They need to keep those guys fit, need to keep them playing. I think the best Nashville can hope for is a draw. And, and with that draw, Really, that's the, the most common outcome there is, is fourth or fifth. And I think, uh, I think fifth with Dallas continuing to, uh, to do enough to stay ahead of LA Galaxy as well. I think that's a reasonable expectation. I would actually lean that way as well. I think a, a, a draw is certainly attainable for this Nashville team against the LAFC team that you know, Steve Trudeau said after the match. We're still going to put out a strong lineup against Nashville. We want to maintain momentum. He's not going to say, "Oh yeah, we're going to rest guys against Nashville." And I'm sure they'll they've, they've got a deep team, right? They're yeah, going to yeah. they're going to still threaten no matter who they play. But motivation-wise, Nashville has it. LAFC doesn't, and that is feelings ball, yes. But um they've won the supporter shield. They need to rotate a bit to get ready for the playoffs. I know they're going to get a nice break uh, before that first playoff match cuz they get the bye, but I I think a draw is doable. You get that draw and and uh, fifth place Looks, looks pretty decent. I think fourth is probably still still a stretch for this team. Uh, but what is not a stretch, of course, is the excellence of one ML Rose. I it was in Kansas City overnight last night. We stayed on our long drive back from, from Colorado, and uh, I was hungry. I, I, I was the driver all day. Wife and baby had already gone to bed. I was like, I'm going out. I'm gonna, I, I found a bar like two miles away. I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to get a burger. That's what's going to happen. Can I tell you how disappointing it is to have a local bar and a beer and a burger that's not ML Rose and how I've still not found something that equals what we have here in Nashville, Tim. Have you? I mean, I, you're not going to say it if you have because there are <laughs> like, it's just not, it was fine. Yeah. It was a, it was a solid B minus. ML Rose has never been a B minus in my book. And I've been dozens of times, hundred times probably at this point. Yeah. Well, Wes, you want to know one thing that I've noticed um, about any, any party that has, gone to ML Rose with us, with both of us together after a game, at least one member of them has sung the national anthem for Nashville SC's final home game of the year. So I think ergo, <laughs> if you go to ML Rose, you at the very least increase your chances. Hmm. I, I want to say that's a small sample size. Nope. Nope. It's not. Right. <laughs> you never know. You never very, know. Very, very large. End. <laughs> and by the way, Kate Gidry, fantastic job. It was just awesome. I, was unable to be at the match, uh, which I hated, especially the, the home finale of the regular season, uh, Fan Appreciation Day, and the highlight, undeniably, for Nashville SC supporters, um, while they would have loved for it to be on the field, was certainly certainly often and would have been either way, even with a 5-0 win. Kate did an awesome job. Great singing voice, great person. Uh, yeah, she and Logan had a nice time. Joined, well, I don't know if they had a nice time. I won't be presumptuous there. We had a nice time. <laughs> Connecting with them um, after after a Nashville SC match a month and a half or so ago, great folks, and, and Kate did just an awesome, awesome job. And and it is fun to see supporters take the spotlight, especially good people um, 
that that we know and have a, have had a chance to commune with that at MLROs. So yes, yes your, yes, your chances, correct. yeah. I mean, like we are we are apparently the the tastemakers of national anthem singers. You go to MLROs with us, and if you order just right, just maybe the winds blow the way of Jodas Park, and they get word that you're a good singer, and and you get to sing <laughs> the anthem. Just That's, just trust us. So- there's there's only one way to to increase the sample size, and that's to have more people try it out, right? I mean, you just never know, right? <laughs> Nobody thought Nashville SC would make the playoffs three times in a row in their first three years. It happened. Nobody thought that you, yes, you listening to us right now, could potentially sing the national anthem at Jodas Park. If they were talking to me, oh, no, I could not. <laughs> you could not. Neither of us qualifies. <laughs> After a few beers, we might think we're good. We're not. No. Don't take it's 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 an acceptance, but a lack of of social uh, anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, LAFC fans don't have anxiety right now, by the way. They're heading into this last match already celebrating their supporter shield winning team, the number one seed in the West, which comes with a buy. But there's still a lot to talk about with this match, not just from Nashville's perspective, but from the LAFC side, too. And Alicia Rodriguez, a, a tremendous, tremendous voice in this league. Uh, from Angels on Parade, had a conversation with Tim about what Nashville SC fans can expect from LAFC on Decision Day. Let's get you that interview with Alicia. Alicia Rodriguez is the managing editor of AngelsOnParade.com, where she's been covering MLS in Los Angeles since way back in the Chivas USA days. Uh, Her work has also appeared on SB Nation and MLSsoccer.com, and she joins us to look forward to the Boys in Gold's Decision Day matchup with LAFC. Alicia, thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me on. So let's get right into it. Um, last time these clubs met, it was the MLS debut for Giorgio Cellini, for uh, Gareth Bale. How has their arrival changed the team? Yeah, it's changed in a lot of ways. Um, I think in some ways good, in some ways uh, maybe not quite as good. Um, I think for Cellini, uh, he's really been stellar. Every time he's been on the field, he's been really good. Um, you mentioned that that debut against Nashville. I was waiting for him to to have that first run, uh, you know, in open space against a, an attacker and see what happened. And um, he came up trumps that day. So that was that was pretty good for him. Um, but he's been really good. They've been managing his minutes. But I think when he does play, um, you know, he, he's he's really been successful for bail. It's a little bit different. Um, he had to get up to speed, took him some time. I think he's still kind of getting uh, up to speed because he barely played last season uh, with Real Madrid. I mean, really only a handful of times um, as a result. Um, that plus the fact that he's looking forward to the the World Cup uh, with Wales, uh, obviously huge for him. His legacy in that country, uh, historic birth for that country in the World Cup. Um, that's I think probably the top priority for him. And on some level, I don't blame him for that. Um, but I do think he's committed to LAFC, mm-hmm. and and he really is trying to make a go of it here. Um, but he's been a little bit better off the bench than starting so far. And I'm not sure if that's just a matter of fitness or uh, needing to get some chemistry or finding the right spots and pockets on the field to play in. Um, certainly with a player of his caliber, I'm not too worried about it in the long run. I think he can still contribute. He's had a couple of really good goals so far. Um, but Bale is a little bit more of a work in progress uh, so far with LAFC. You mentioned chemistry issues there, and that's something that I think at least from the outside, has been kind of a talking point since some of these mid-season signings that LAFC made. Obviously, they still did well enough to win Supporters' Shield, but have these kind of big names incoming affected some of that? Because obviously the pace is not quite where it was to start the year either. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think there's a lot of uh, factors that go into success or failure. Um, you know, so to say simply that just dropping in several new players, you know, ruined everything, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, I think in the early part of the season, LAFC were 
uh, good, but they were also lucky. And I think um, on the road stretch where they, they lost several games in a row on the road um, and really hit their only bad patch of the season, um, you know, it wasn't quite as lucky. Uh, you know, bounces went against them. Like Bill in particular had a game in Houston uh, that Houston won two to one where uh, Steve Clark made like three exceptional saves. And most of the time you would expect one of those goals to go in and it just didn't on the day. And, you know, those games happen. That's that's what soccer is. Um, but at the same time, I think it would be a lie to say that the new guys coming in didn't, uh, change things. And, and some of them are still getting up to speed, right? Like you have Bale, you have Christian Teo, you know, who formerly played for Barcelona, Porto, uh, Real Betis. And, um, you know, he's barely played and he's still (laughs) a a pretty big, uh, name, you know, I think in, Mm -hmm. in European soccer, um, but he's still finding his footing with this team. Denny Buanga, who scored the key goal, uh, to clinch the shield at the weekend, uh, that was his first goal. Uh, I think he was starting to feel the pressure a little bit because he is a DP, even though maybe he's not the biggest name amongst all the mm-hmm. um, stars who came midseason. But uh, I think that goal was was big for him, for the team. Um, but, you know, it, it also sort of showed that he is fitting in with the team and he's he's starting to produce a little bit, especially in a, a big moment. Um, you mentioned, of course, way more incoming guys than I mentioned. Um, Buanga, obviously, I think is is probably the one that people have the highest expectations for. But obviously, there's only so much playing time to go around. Who has kind of seen their role reduced? And um, I know when Chiellini first came in, there was there was talk of changing formations to fit him on the field a little bit more. Is that sort of stuff happening? So, in fact, I think for the most part, we haven't actually seen too many guys uh, get a reduction in playing time because when they brought Mm -hmm. players in, they sent players away. So there were a few trades out um, and then there were uh, loans and transfers out. So um, uh, Pancho Ginella went uh, back to an Uruguayan club. Uh, Mamadou Fall, who I was really high on, but kind of inexplicably got benched uh, midseason. Uh, he ended up getting sent on loan to Villarreal in Spain. So that's like a pretty good club. I think you don't <laughs> turn down that opportunity yeah. on either side. Um, so that kind of opened things up for Chiellini. Uh, Brian Rodriguez uh, was transferred to America. And I think that worked out for everyone because he was somebody who seemed like he really just wanted to move on and he was pretty desperate to do so. Mm-hmm. I think LAFC were ready to to move on from him as well. And they managed to find a partner and get um, enough money that I think it was worth their while to do so. And that helped them clear the way for uh, Buanga in particular to come in. So um, I actually think they've been pretty smart with that. And then in terms of the defense, uh, they haven't really changed the formation uh, too much. Um, They've done like three central defenders like one or two times. Mm -hmm. But really, I think it's more of just a straight uh, rotation policy. So um, right now they're going four deep with Chiellini. Uh, Jesus David Murillo, Eddie Segura, and Sebastian Ibiaga. And those four guys basically rotate and take turns on who's playing. And the fact that Steve Terundolo actually like literally rotates them, he um, you don't see them kind of tag teaming two and two. Like he rotates mm-hmm. and all the guys get time playing with the other guys. And so I think they're all uh, comfortable with each other. And, you know, if there happens to be, knock on wood, a, you know, an injury or something in the playoffs, hopefully they can get beyond that. Um, if, you know, they have to put in another guy, it's, it's not going to be a big issue. You mentioned that they sent out some of these guys to, to, to clear room. Do any of those look like they're a mistake in hindsight that a guy who has come in, wasn't able to step up to the performance, obviously um, until recently, Buanga had been one that's like, Hey, where, where, when's the production going to happen to replace Brian Rodriguez? But are there any that still, you know, 
come decision day are like, hey, man, we probably could have kept that guy instead of um, making room for whomever else. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I think when you're fresh off a trophy, it's hard to sort of be too critical <laughs> and say, you know, it, yeah. it could have been better. But um, I think by and large, the moves that they made made sense. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, they traded Danny Masovsky to Real Salt Lake and they didn't trade him for that much, um, you know, by MLS standards. Masovsky is a domestic forward. Domestic forwards are usually pretty cheap in this economy, mm -hmm. um, but they didn't really get much back in allocation money. Having said that, was there going to be a, a path for him to really get playing time? Not unless seven guys went down, you know, mm -hmm. and, and obviously anything can happen, but it looked like his path to playing time was going to be severely limited. And so in that sense, as much as it kind of hurt to sort of see someone who had really worked hard and, you know, didn't have the kind of star studded name, but still had managed to be productive in limited playing time over the years go, I think it makes sense for everyone that he gets an opportunity at another club that actually needs uh, strikers, you know, to play there um, rather than just right. wait his turn on the bench and, and never play. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think it's more of like in a long-term sense uh, how all these moves shake out. But in the very short term, I think so far it's been pretty sensible and, and made a lot mm -hmm. of sense. So I guess the big picture for LAFC here is, is shaking this reputation as a regular season team that, um, doesn't do so hot in the playoffs. And it seems like a lot of these moves were made with the intention of saying, okay, this is, this is the time we're finally going to gun for MLS cup. Obviously they still ended up winning supporters shield nonetheless, but do these moves feel like they are built to achieve that goal of, of playoff success? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of twofold. I think um, in part having the experience, you know, particularly Chiellini, Bale, and Teo, they're all players who have won uh, a fair amount in their careers, particularly mm -hmm. Bale and, and Chiellini. Um, and that coupled with the team just getting more experience in general uh, for this season, I think has really paid off. But there's going to be times when, you know, players have to dig deep and you need to have someone yelling on, you know, in the huddle to get the guys fired up. And I think that they've addressed that problem. That's been something that's been a little bit of an issue in the past is maybe a little bit of passivity in terms of vocal leadership uh, with this team. Um, so I think they've addressed that, but also I think that they made these moves as well with an eye towards next year. Um, so they've qualified for the champions league. They're going to be in champions league. There's also leagues cup. We're all going to have to, you know, have that big old break with leagues cup next year and, you know, things changing quite a bit, um, open cup, potentially playoffs. Like there's a lot of competitions, um, that are going to be on deck for them next year. And so if they have a, a good squad, already in place with maybe just making a couple changes, you know, to, to retool or to upgrade. Um, hopefully that puts them in good stead. Um, obviously though, in the short term, it's, it's the playoffs and we won't know until we see them in action in, in the postseason, of course. And last thing that's, that's LA specific rather than game specific that I want to ask about is, is the goalkeeping position. And that has seemed like one that in past years had been a little bit of a problem. I would say that is very much not the case this year. What has, what has, um, I guess changed, obviously the personnel change is obvious, but what is, what is, I guess that allowed in terms of what they're able to do um, elsewhere on the field too? Yeah. I think having a starter in, in Maxine Cripo is uh, good in the first place. You just have a, somebody settle. <laughs> a hot take right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's, it's true. And and one thing that uh, LAFC struggled with under Bob Bradley was uh, they were changing goalkeepers a lot for most mm -hmm. of that time. And um, I think in, in the end, it it was really pretty detrimental. Both the players 
I don't want to say all the players were not, you know, good, but I think some of the players were definitely not at the level um, and it showed. And so it hurt the team's performance. And I think um, I've been a little bit surprised this year that Crepo has yet to really step up and like save a game for LAFC. Um, that was something that he kind of made his trademark in right. Vancouver on a bad team. Uh, he was a guy who, who would make 15 saves and, you know, get them a one, one draw. And like, you need that sometimes he hasn't really done that so far. I think that's a credit to the players in front of him. Maybe that's coming in the playoffs. Uh, very well could be, but um, I think there's a level of confidence and trust in him. And he certainly hasn't done anything bad to make me right. think like, Oh, he shouldn't be the starter. I mean, I think he's definitely deserves to be the starter and he seems to be locked in there, but um, yeah, it's, it's been an upgrade for sure. And uh, I think set it and forget it is kind of what you want to see out of a goalkeeping situation. And, and that's what LAFC have at the moment. So as we look toward the weekend, the, there's a big uh, LAFC has clinched supporter shield, you know, talk. Steve Rondella has mentioned in no uncertain terms that he doesn't feel like he can rest players this weekend because otherwise they have too much time off with the uh, first round by that they get. How do you think he's going to manage that? Do you think some of these guys almost go through the motions a little bit and, and work on fitness rather than, you know, going all out like they have been for much of the year? Or are they going to come out and, and say, hey, you know, even though we already have supporters shield locked up, we want to, you know, send one last message in the regular season. And, and we feel that best prepares us to uh, join the playoffs in the second round. Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, it's probably going to be a slightly rotated lineup, but I don't think it's going to be like 11 bench warmers. Right. Or like that, right. Like it's not going to be something where they kind of lay down for Nashville. Um, but I do think there's going to be a few changes. I also think that we could see a situation where like, uh, Vela plays for 45 and Bale plays for 45, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting a run out, but maybe not, you know, forcing them to go to uh, the full out extent uh, in a game that effectively does not really matter for LAFC, um, you know, except for form. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think there may be a few changes. We may some tweet, see some tweaks. Hopefully we see five subs, uh, hopefully no injuries. But um, yeah, I think by and large, we're going to see something pretty strong, uh, not too many players that you're going to say, I've never heard of that guy before. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, regulars who are still going to feature for the yeah. game. Gareth Bale, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, a change that that Nashville made to their inaugural roster was big for LAFC too. How is Walker Zimmerman remembered in LA and how will he be received on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, his departure to Nashville was a shock that I think took LAFC uh probably two full years to um really overcome <laughs> mm-hmm. frankly um i think it was a player who uh everyone could see that he was not even playing in maybe the best uh system for him in mm-hmm. at lafc and he still was exceptional so um there were times when i think he got kind of uh gashed a little bit but given the way that lafc played under bob bradley uh, every player, you know, had that from time to time in, mm-hmm. in defense. Um, but no, I think there's a lot of fond memories of Zimmerman. I think there's a contingent of LAFC fans who still feel like it was a huge mistake to trade him. Um, I think most folks kind of understand what happened, happened. We just yeah. have to move on and uh, we have. But um, no, I think it's 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 all positive. I think um, he left on you know, with fans uh, appreciating what he did for the club. Um, and the fact that he keeps winning Defender of the Year means that, you know, <laughs> he, he's doing pretty well uh, since leaving the team too. So, uh, you know, no no hard feelings there. Mm-hmm. 
And these two clubs don't have a long history on the field either. How how does LAFC view Nashville? Do, do they view Nashville really that much at all, except as as part of the morass? And then how are they, you know, are, are they seeing Nashville as a potential rivalry? It's weird because uh, decision day is no longer a rivalry week, but um, how is, how is uh, LAFC looking forward to this game specifically? Yeah, I think you're right in that because there haven't been, uh, you know, many games, just all of one so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really feel like there's a big rivalry feel to this uh, matchup yet. Right. Um, you know, for LAFC, it's it's obviously the Galaxy first and foremost, but then beyond that, you know, you have the Timbers uh, that they, you know, really uh, quite dislike and uh, Sounders. I think there's a lot of mutual respect, but that's also a rivalry in a, in in an. Yeah one aspect as well this year i think the the kind of uh pretender to the crown so to speak has been austin and so austin has really been chirping you know we're coming for the shields we're you know we're coming for lafc and they beat lafc twice uh in the regular season so um you know they have some claims on on really being a you know someone who's who's trying to uh beat out lafc i think nashville we need to see a few more games and uh sort of see how things develop i think so far um you know, Nashville is kind of built in a different way from, from LAFC. Um, you know, LAFC was built like attack first and uh, devil may care about defense and they've sort of uh, balanced things out over the years, but um, you know, that still is attacking is really a big part of LAFC's identity. Um, I think for teams that like Nashville, that really are strongly identified with their defense um there, there's a respect for that because we haven't seen a consistent defense, uh, you know, all the time yeah. uh, with LAFC at the same time. Um, you know, I think there is an eagerness to sort of uh, keep all the others at bay. So um, LAFC fans are going to be a little bit arrogant and, uh, you know, confident in themselves until they're proved otherwise. And uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Tell the people where they can find you and where they can find your work. Sure. You can find my work on LAFC at angelsonparade.com, which is part of the SB Nation network. And you can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alicia Rodriguez. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Tim, Alicia is just fantastic as always. Her first time on uh, on our show, not the first time that her name has likely come across the feeds of, of many of our listeners. And certainly you and I are both avid followers of, of her work. What stood out to you in that discussion that maybe uh, you know surprised you? Uh, when you chatted with her. Yeah, my biggest surprise was based on what Steve Chirondolo said after the game that you, that you mentioned before we, we played the interview here is it, he sounded like, hey, we're going to play a full a full lineup. We're going to play guys as much as we can, basically. And Alicia was like, mm, that's just that's just talk. And, you know, if it was Gary Smith, you and I would have a good finger on the pulse of whether it was just talk or whether it was serious. But I was kind of surprised. OK, yeah, you might get 45 out of uh, Vela and 45 out of uh, bail in the same position but um you know you're not going to see a team that's that's you know running out its starters for much more than fitness you're not going to see guys going out there in two footing to try and win a game because they understand um the stakes of this game are, are low other than for their own personal benefit going into the playoffs and yet this is an lafc team that plays so freely and so aggressively mm-hmm. that you know i uh, they're not going to be tight. They're going to have nothing to nothing to lose and nothing really to play for. And that's almost just as scary in some ways. And, and if they do rotate, they've got guys who are going to be fighting to get to get playoff minutes and earn that too. So they've, they've got folks that, that are going to be motivated to, uh, and again, such a deep team. Good interview with Alicia. Uh, really enjoyed her, her um, presence on the show and always enjoy her work. 
Um, and uh, glad you were able to snag her for an interview. Let's head to the mailbag now. And our good friend, Chris Ivey, uh, another person, by the way, we've communed same, with. Same night, Rose. same night. <laughs> same night. He is yet to sing the national anthem at a Nashville SC game. Chris, oh. come on, man. Has, he's due. Or, or or we'd set or he's or undershooting well. his XG so far. His Britney X would anthem count. is way higher than X anthem. The XA, not X assist anymore. It's X anthem. <laughs> That's what it stands for. Uh, Chris Ivy, how many permutations of Western Conference playoff final positionings are there going into decision day? Oh, Tim, he speaks your love language. Yes, uh, I know it is a ton. He says it's still really fluid, but I'm guessing Tim has the official number. Tim, I'm guessing you do too. I do indeed. So there are seven Western Conference games left. So before you you kind of apply any filters here, narrowing it down to playoff positionings, there are 2,187 total scenarios. That is uh, three to the seventh for all my big math heads out there. Anybody with a TI-83 maybe. Uh, if you take out the Austin-Colorado game, um, because Austin is locked into second place, they can't finish anywhere else um, after Dallas's loss at the weekend. Um, and Colorado is already eliminated from playoff contention. They're going to finish almost certainly uh, eighth or sorry, uh, 10th. Um, and you can also eliminate Seattle, San Jose, both again, already out of the playoffs. You're down to 243 permutations that can affect the final outcome of, of the table in terms of what the, uh, the playoff teams are and what order they come in. Among those 243 permutations, there are 103 unique outcomes uh, in terms of who finishes where I am treating outcomes that have like different rankings, but the same outcome. So like basically a tie where one team finishes ahead on the tiebreakers is kind of the same as, as not a tie, but that team finishes one position ahead. So for, for that situation, you have uh, including all seven teams in the running for the final five spots. I did not narrow it down to, you know, things that just kind of flip uh, the eighth and ninth spots there. But um, yeah, so 103 unique outcomes. Um, I mentioned, I, I teased earlier, and that's, that's a, a real pro move by me. I teased earlier that uh, there was a reason that I, I thought Nashville was going to finish in fifth. And, and the main reason is the most common outcome um, of those 103 unique scenarios, um, or of those 103 unique scenarios, the one that occurs most frequently, so I, I think there were like nine or 10, um, is that the teams end up in the exact same order that they're in right now, um, plus whatever whatever other ones ended up with tiebreakers that end up the same way too. And a few of the most next most common ones are outcomes with ties that again, will also end up in the exact same order in playoff seedings after tiebreakers. So for that reason, uh, fifth place feels the most common. You can, we talked about it earlier. You can obviously see the ways that Nashville would improve its playoff seating by uh, a Dallas loss and a Nashville win or, or, or outperforming the galaxy on points on the final day. But uh, if you're a cold-hearted math guy, a complete spreadsheet guy with absolutely no regard for for the quality of the teams, just in terms of the number of options, um, yeah, fifth place overall feels the most common for Nashville. I just drove 2,500 miles in from, from Nashville and ended up in Nashville. You just started <laughs> uh, with 2,100-plus uh, scenarios and ended up with, yeah, but probably going to stay the same. Or most likely <laughs> going to stay the same, not probably. Uh, but, but great stuff. Thanks for, for diving no into that. For, Listen, if we're talking probability, it's the most common outcome. So therefore, as is the most probable. But it's like, it's like of the 243, I think it was like 12, or it stays the exact way it is right now. And there were a few more that were, you know, permutations on the seedings are the same, even if the if the ties kind of change and all that sort of stuff. Chris, we know you, and we know you'll be flattered to hear that we believe you're just as much of a nerd as Tim. So uh, hope that spoke <laughs> your love language as, as as I'm sure you hoped it would. 
Uh, Trevor Bryan, I know this has been talked about before, but was trading Daniel Rios the worst move of the offseason? Hard not to feel so given his four-goal game and Sapong's four-month scoring drought. Look, I mean, he has he's the MLS player of the week. He had a brace. He's he's thrived in Charlotte. I think it is hard to necessarily equate that to what he would have done um, in Nashville. There are all kinds of other factors there, of course, but you know, Akeloba has not produced at the level the club hoped and expected. And Teal Bunbury was hurt for much of the year. And all of a sudden, Nashville was thin at a position where it thought it had a surplus. And so, yeah, Daniel Rios absolutely would have helped. Does that mean that Mike Jacobs made the wrong move? I think that's the better question to debate because it was hard to foresee the injury. It's hard to foresee CJ Sapong scoring drought. It was maybe a little less hard to see Akeloba's struggles coming but he had, you know, like he did struggle last year, but, but they were optimistic about his emergence. Bottom line. I, I think you can say, yeah, it was a bummer of a move, especially now, but at the mm-hmm. time, most people said tip of the cap. That's, that's probably the right move for a guy who didn't seem like he was going to play as much as he ended up. Probably. You know, they probably would have. Yeah. I think definitely in hindsight, it, you, you can clearly say that it was the wrong move because um, you don't, I, I'm not really worried about Sapong scoring drought in terms of what it means for Rios. There, that was inherently unpredictable. I think it's it's Loba and Bunbury. Nashville couldn't keep Rios because he was regularly injured. And then you look at the more expensive guy in Loba, and you look at a guy in Bunbury who is kind of considered the the yeah, the dollar for dollar replacement for for Rios. Both of those guys were injured much more than Rios was this year. So it's um you know it's kind of bucking a trend that they kind of uh, relied upon in making that decision. The information at the time. Uh, turned out to be bad, essentially, in terms of its predictive value. Um, you add in the fact that Lobo was totally ineffective when healthy. Um, and we know what Rios can bring when he's healthy. It's just, again, that in his first two years in MLS, he wasn't as healthy as Nashville would have hoped. Um, yeah, that $500,000 in GAM and, and a sell-on fee, if and when he leaves the league, that's a pittance, and Nashville did not get the value that it wanted out of that. Jay Oz, do you believe in the theory that a head coach has a shelf life? It's a good question. Um, and and even if you do believe in that theory, I don't know that either of us would say that Gary Smith is close to having a reach. Yeah, his. There's like an unspoken question in there as well. Passive aggressive a little bit from Jay there. Um, <laughs> I don't in MLS. I, I do. I do in some sports. I, I think in particular college football, which we've managed to reference yet again here mm-hmm. with this, with this reference, you have fan bases whose expectations rise so much that you can become a victim of your own success See Mark Richt, see Phil Fulmer, uh, Philip Fulmer. He hated being called Phil. Sorry. Um, the, the, Lloyd Carr. Like, there you go. Michigan. Got I was going to say, you got this, you got this, you got it. You're it's right on the tip of your tongue last. That's it. I, I knew. See there, I'm speaking your love language. Hate language? I don't know. Um, and it's, yeah, I think there, yes. There, as, as even Steve Spurrier said when Fulmer was fired, I think 16 years is a long time to be in one place. In MLS though, I think that if you can cut through uh, the parody of this league and be consistent, even if that consistency doesn't look like first or second place every year, you can stay a long time. And I, I don't think necessarily that at MLS that that applies uh, as much as it does maybe even in in club leagues elsewhere. Yeah, I think not even so much as club club leagues. I think it applies more at the international level. A World Cup cycle is a very natural amount of time to keep or, um, you know, to to have to have a, a coaching tenure last um, the different pressures and, and the opportunities of a four year cycle are very different. The thing is, 
if a coach is good enough, there's no such thing as a shelf life because the quality of the coach determines how the quality of the results, essentially. Um, I think managing the continuity of the roster and the club game is something that um, is very important to a tenure longer than you might think of as the quote unquote shelf life of a coach. We've seen it with a guy like Peter Vermees in, in sporting Kansas city, he manages his own roster. And until this year had basically pretty much always been pretty good. I think that if you have enough control over the club and you are good enough at your job, that is always the most important thing. If you are good enough at your job, there's no such thing as a shelf life. And I don't think this, again, I don't think this coach has reached anything resembling his shelf life at, at Nashville SC, particularly with the performance in the, in the latter part of the season. Yeah. Houston's disappointing. After every loss, we get a Gary Smith tenure question, I feel like, but that um, it's just not a league where you can, you can ride those highs and lows to, you know, with, with too much seriousness. I mean, you know, three game losing streak, three game win streak, ride them a little bit, but, but an occasional bad outing after a six game unbeaten streak. Eh. Uh, Kevin Morrison, other than the lack of an additional attacker, what's the weakness of this NSC team that causes nights like Sunday to happen? He says, I have my thoughts midfield and maybe playing four in the back, but I'd love to hear y'all's take on it. Hashtag mailbag. Nice hashtag. Kevin. I will not hear any, any four in the back slander, but um, no, say, nor will I, nor will in, I. Terms it has of, led in terms to more of, goals for Nashville than it has yeah. for goals for, for other teams. Yeah. In, in terms of, of the broader picture, I mentioned this in the early shout, but Losing to a team like Houston is just something that happens. The gaps just aren't big enough in this league for the better team to always win on an off night. LAFC's losses this year. And again, this is the supporter shield winner that we're talking about. Vancouver, San Jose, Houston. Those are three teams that you wouldn't expect Nashville to lose to, much less the supporter shield winner. So um, you want to minimize how often that happens. And I think Nashville will perceive opportunities to minimize the amount that that happens in a given season. Um, this year was obviously kind of a weird one in terms of how the results played out. Um, to, to, to do that, putting the ball in the back of the net more efficiently uh, is important. Uh, I, I'm not going to say an attacker since you specifically said not to say that. Unlike to Chris Hull, where he, he said no sa- small sample size, and I say small sample size. But um, I, I think another thing that is uh, a potential opportunity for this Nashville squad in terms of improving itself, especially against lower table teams is to possess better in the middle and attacking thirds. Any player you add that can do those things that can make sure you're keeping possession. And if you give it away, it's at the end of a scoring opportunity rather than a turnover that leads to an opponent counter. That's something that would really help this team level up a little bit for next year. It's not going to happen in the next game. Plus however long they last in the playoffs. Yeah. This question reads to me kind of like other than 2022, what is a good FC Cincinnati season? Like, I mean, yeah, there are things you can point to, but I think it is, it's that, it's that attacking, it's that putting the ball in the back of the net early when they, when they are on the front foot, uh, that makes the difference right there. And if you get up, it's different game state, Nashville SC likely gets at least a point out of this. If not, if not all three, um, Jose says, since we've clinched and we have a game to play with, isn't this the game that Ake should be starting this being LAFC, I, I would assume. And, and no, I think, you know, if you want to be my Loba first, you got to play the end. You gotta, West, you gotta please. be the go-to guy late in matches. Children before. might be listening. <laughs> uh, I mean, you think Beckham's in on that? You think he he would appreciate? <laughs> you think he'll know that Spice Girls reference there? I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think at this point, the Ake Loba tenure, at least this season, uh, yeah. on on the field in Nashville consistently is is about done. Um, unless yeah, yeah. Nashville's desperate. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think you use this game to get minutes for guys that you think you're going to rely on in the playoffs. I think getting CJ Sapong back on a, a bit of confidence in a goal scoring form would be infinitely more valuable for a playoff run than getting Loba that time, especially since Loba's goal scoring seems to be a little more random and not playing time oriented. It's because you get those moments and those flashes of brilliance. They aren't necessarily um, coming from well-drilled results of designed patterns that you need to get him experience in. Yeah. And not to mention Nashville's most likely finished positions are fourth and fifth, which means if they win that first round game, they're going right back to LA. They're taking on this LAFC team and they need a good night in LA. They need to, to show what they can do there to then go back and, and know they can do it again. That I, I think you need the strongest possible lineup. You need the highest possible finish. And that home playoff game as well is worth playing for. It's worth fighting for against this LA team. So I think you have to play. A, a, it's not just about, yay, we clinched. Nashville knew it was going to clinch before the last game of the year in all likelihood. They they want to finish as high as they can. They need to finish as high as they can. And I, I don't think this is the time to, to make any tweaks, certainly as much as rotation would be nice. Uh, let's go outside in, take a look at the Eastern Conference. Not talked a lot about that. A little more defined at the top, Tim. Philly is going to win the East, Montreal second, uh, and then uh, NYC and Red Bulls in some order, third and fourth. But then you get to fifth through eighth. All those teams are within a point of each other. Midweek games uh, for six, seven, and eight in the standings. It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. And, and that's where the eyes are going to be on the, that first set of games on Decision Day Sunday. Yeah, Cincinnati is is in fifth right now, and they couldn't quite win on Sunday and still miss the playoffs. They're only a point of head, a point ahead of sixth, seventh, and eighth. Um, but Orlando and Columbus do play each other on decision day. But it would be so funny if it were possible for Cincinnati to be in fifth place and win and still miss out on the playoffs. <laughs> but alas, it's not going to happen. How Cincinnati esque would that be? Final whistle, content recommendations. Tim, mine is uh, is straightforward, and it's not necessarily soccer related. Um, I'm, I just want to echo a word of, of pride for my brother who uh, was named on, on Tuesday as the, uh, the full-time host of Will, Kayla and Ramon on 104.5 The Zone. Um, he also does host a soccer show in this, uh, in this market that, that is a podcast. He's filled in for me a couple times on the play-by-play mic. He's worked his butt off to get this opportunity. I don't listen to much radio. Uh, I kind of need to now, and I will now because it's going to be good morning content on 104.5. So I just want to give my brother a word of congrats. He's earned it. Yeah, I got, I got nothing either. So I will also give a shout out to Will. I actually had something. It was Will. I didn't have nothing. And so I decided to reference my brother. But anyway, thank you for the shout out. Uh, I'll, 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 we're pretty much the same person. So uh, 12 years removed. So I'll, uh, I'll thank you on, <laughs> on his behalf. Uh, thanks to ML Rose, as always, for, uh, for the sponsorship uh, and the awesome burgers. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, the beginning and the end. Hop on right now to Apple Podcasts. Just give us a quick five star or whatever rating you feel, but also a five-star uh, with a review. Subscribe to us, uh, tell a friend about us, and follow us each on Twitter. And uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us the opportunity to talk Nashville SC every week. Tim, any final thoughts from you? No, that's it. I am uh, excited that you're back in the chair, Wes. And thank you for, for keeping it very warm. Thanks to Steve and, and Braden for doing a great job. Uh, I'll be back for this foreseeable future, much to everyone's chagrin, especially. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.